Caroline Dowd-Higgins. Thank you for listening to Your Working Life, my podcast series featuring thought leaders in the career and personal growth arena. I know that you spend a significant portion of your life at work, so I'm on a mission to provide you with tools, inspiration, and resources so you can enjoy your career and love your life. And I'm so excited to welcome my very special guest to the show today, Anne Grady. Anne, welcome back. Thank you so much for having me, Caroline. It's great to be here. I'm delighted that you're with me. You are a two-time guest, and it's always wonderful to hear new and exciting things that you're doing. But I want to tell our audience a little bit about you. Of course, Ann Grady is a nationally recognized speaker, consultant, and author. And your new book, 52 Strategies for Life, Love, and Work, is just knocking it out of the park, Ann. Very exciting. You've earned a master's degree in organizational communication, and you've been teaching and speaking for many, many years. And I'm really excited today to talk about some workplace drama, right? Because you have given some very specific action steps about how all of us can avoid this. Have you been in workplace dramatic environments, and that have just been debilitating? Well, yes, I absolutely have. And... Uh, and that has certainly been something that I've had to learn over time how to manage that. But most of what I learned on how to manage it came from my, the drama in my own personal life. You know, my, my son is severely mentally ill. I share his story uh, in the book as well as the strategies that I've learned to manage around that. And so uh, many of the strategies that actually work for the corporate world uh, are those that I learned from managing a mentally ill child. They translate flawlessly. I bet they do. And do you find that that really resonates with other moms and dads who have similar experiences to say, thank goodness, someone's finally talking about this? Yeah, absolutely. And I think that a lot of times we're looking for the silver bullet and it's yeah. it's difficult because there isn't one, but there are absolutely proactive strategies that you can take uh, to make your life easier, to um, minimize some of the drama going on at work as well as home. And so what I the reason I wrote the book for all three areas is that they all intertwine. Nobody's, you don't leave work at work, you don't leave home at home. You kind of you're the same person no matter where you go. And the strategies, you know, bleed between bleed between the different lines as well. Exactly. You've just got to live life. You have an interesting phrase, and you, you talk about the cost of crazy and how people can overcome it in work and, and personal lives. Tell me more about that, Anne. Well, you know, when you think about workplace drama, conflict, all of those things, it's costing the American workplace about $360 billion a year with a B. Uh, and this wow. comes out in low productivity, low morale, disengagement, uh, and not to mention the fact that when I, you know, have done a lot of research on mental illness because of my son, Evan, statistically one out of every four adults is considered mentally ill in some form or fashion. So you do have a little bit of crazy. We all have a little bit of crazy, mm -hmm. but when you're trying to manage it in your life, in your job, with your friends, in your home, uh, it really does take a toll. So let's talk a little bit. I, I love your premise of we need to train people how to treat us. And that is easier said than done. So walk me through it and give me an example that's practical so our audience can implement this in their lives. So, you know, I had a woman recently in New York City after one of my presentations come up to me and, and say, I don't understand. People are disrespectful for, to me. Um, you know, they kind of put me down and I end up, you know, kind of taking the grunt of the work. And my question to her was, 
and what are you doing to enable that behavior? And her response was, what do you mean? I'm, of course I'm not allowing that behavior. The people that are just rude to me. Well, people can't treat you any way that you don't allow. And we, we train people which boundaries it's okay to cross. We teach people how they can speak to us if, if we respond back, whether we're passive aggressive or try to ignore it. You know, most of us try to stay away from conflict because it's uncomfortable. Uh, but if you truly want to train someone how to treat you, you have to make your boundaries pretty, pretty clear in that case saying, you know what, I can understand and appreciate that there are things you need me to do. And as soon as we can talk respectfully to each other, I'm happy to do that. But right now I'm not in a place where I can do that. Or something as simple as, you know what, you deserve respect. Uh, and I can't give that to you right now. So I need a few minutes to to take some time to think, you know, it's really just explaining what behavior is acceptable and not acceptable. I love that because those particular script bits, right, will really help us sink our teeth into what we can say in that situation. Because quite often when we're stressed in that spur of the moment, we don't have language that comes to mind quickly. So thank you for that. That's just so useful in that scenario. Did you well, find- Well, Caroline, let yeah, me just please. say real quick, the reason I wrote the book is because I was so reactive in all areas yeah. of my life. And I think that's a big challenge for folks. They wait till the issue exists and then they're emotionally invested. And mm -hmm. once you're emotional about something, your ability to logically and objectively deal with it goes out the window. So yeah. if you don't have some of these strategies in place before you're in a drama filled situation, then it becomes very easy just to react to people and situations all around you. That's why I think it's so important to really focus on little building blocks at a time so that you can gain the skills needed so that when you're confronted with that situation, you're not reactive, you're prepared. Excellent. Not reactive, prepared. There's a tweet if I ever heard one. <laughs> fantastic. Fantastic. So what do you look for? Um, how do you know you're in a, a workplace drama filled environment, right? I know sometimes people say, is this normal, right? Is this just a little bit over the top? And quite often I will, depending upon the situation, say, yeah, you, we need some behavior change in this environment, but give us some examples. Well, you know, obviously there are the, the typical drama starters, the gossipers, the pot stirrers, the ones who have nothing nice to say, um, who thrive on negativity and who are always looking for reasons to get other people spun up into their drama. And there are those that get sucked into that very easily and those that just don't accept it. And you get to choose which one of those people you are. Um, you know, for example, I had a woman or actually this, this woman was talking about her marriage, not actually her workplace, but she was saying, you know, everything is so dramatic. We have these arguments, we have these debates and, and I don't understand, I don't understand it. And I asked how she was showing up. You know, my question to her is, was your, is your mood, uh, how is your mood affecting things? Is the room better when you enter it or when you leave it? Uh -huh, and she never nice. really stopped to think about the fact that she could be contributing to it. So, you know, whether it's gossip or whether it's rumor or innuendo or any of the other drama starters in, in our lives, you know, what role are you playing in that? Are you getting sucked into those conversations and making it acceptable to include you in them? Or are you just walking away? So, you know what, my work area is a dump free zone, no complaining, yeah. no negativity, <laughs> no dumping, no problems, yeah. you know, only positivity allowed here. Uh, and really 
putting your foot down as to what's acceptable. I like that. I have a, a no complaining clause with my team. And I say, you know, I value that, that everything isn't always going to work perfectly. Come to right. me with solutions, right? And exactly. then we can talk about it. So you need to be heard. You need to be validated. And I'm with you 100%. And if you can come to the table with solutions, then we can work together to fix it. So I like that. Yes. So no dumping. That's fantastic. You know, when you turn that on the flip side, you're really talking about creating a culture of advocacy where uh, we can support each other in the work environment. Can you talk a little bit about that, how to make it more positive and more supportive? Well, I I think that because you spend so much of your waking time at work, I mean, almost 70% of the time you're awake is at work and you don't get to choose your coworkers, right? Right. So you get, you get to choose your friends uh, and who you want to spend your time with, but you don't necessarily get to choose who you work with. So part of it is setting some clear expectations and, you know, rather than commiserating with the folks that kind of take everyone toward a downward spiral, spiral, taking the the right relationships and really building those and gathering a group of people who are positive and who are focused on solutions, like you mentioned, Uh, and really being, you know, it's like when you're a little kid and your parents say, be careful who you surround yourself with, Mm -hmm. be careful of your friends. Well, it's the same exact thing as an adult. The people you surround yourself by are a reflection of you. Yeah, and, and if you are constantly around positivity and you know optimism and focusing on solutions, it's not to say that people don't have a bad day and they just need to vent. Of course, we're all human, but you're more likely to become the type of person you want to be if you hang around with the people who provide the type of environment that will enable you to do that. Brilliant. So let's talk a little bit, Anne, about multitasking and how it is becoming the death of productivity in the workplace. I know you feel very strongly about this. So tell me more. Well, you know, I I think a lot of our desire to multitask comes from feeling so overwhelmed that we have so much to do and not enough time to do it. And we have worked ourselves into this thought process that says, well, if I do two or three things at once, then I'll, I'll get them done faster. And what we know through research is that that can't be farther from the truth. You know, multitasking lowers your IQ points around, it lowers about 10 IQ points. Now, what this means is that you lose more IQ points multitasking than you do from losing an entire night's sleep than you do from smoking marijuana. You know, it, it actually changes your brain. And because we've come accustomed to this lifestyle, we've actually become addicted to it. When we're, when we're multitasking, all of these chemicals are released in our brain, adrenaline, noradrenaline, cortisol, and researchers have, have found that people can get addicted to that level of stress. You know, that's fascinating that we can become addicted to stress. Have you ever been addicted to stress in your life? And if so, how did, how did you deal with it? I absolutely have been addicted to stress. Uh, you know, raising a single, I was a single mom for a long time, raising a severely mentally ill child. I was running my own consultancy, um, you know, and people said, how do you stay motivated? How do you stay positive? And my question is always, what makes you think I stay motivated right. and positive? <laughs> right, yeah. right, right, right. You have to work at it every day. Uh, But I started realizing I was making careless errors. Mm. So I was emailing an executive at Dell and talking on the phone to someone at the same time and realized I was signing my emails XOXO. (laughs) (laughs) 
charming, but not appropriate in the professional environment. <laughs> oh my That's goodness. where the line has to be drawn. So it only takes a few mistakes to realize, okay, I better really focus on one thing at a time. And I think part of the issue is giving yourself permission to do that. Mm. It's closing all the tabs you're not using. You know, even a computer can't run two programs exactly simultaneously. They go back and forth between them when you're using them. And your brain can't focus. Now, a lot of people say, well, what do you mean? I can fold laundry and talk on the phone or I can cook two different things and make a complete meal. Those are called background tasking mm. where one or more of the tasks don't require a whole lot of mental thought and ability. It's, it's something that's kind of on autopilot. But if you're doing two tasks, both requiring your attention, then you end up spending about 40% of your attention on each individual task and 20% of your attention flipping back and forth between them. And as you age, that 20% time going back and forth between them gets larger meaning you have less ability to focus on either one of those tasks. And now we know uh, all of our kids who are watching TV while texting and looking at iPads, uh, that's actually changing their brain. So mm. for me, it was really just a decision. And I needed a visual reminder. So I have a picture of a stop sign uh, on hanging on my computer monitor. And it reminds me as soon as I start trying to do multiple things at once, that, that stop sign, I'm just able to go, okay, you know what? All I can do is all I can do. I'm going to focus on one thing at a time and make sure it's done right. And then I'll go back to the next thing. And you. so for me, part of that strategy was making sure I wrote down all of the things that flew into my mind that I wanted to do so I wouldn't forget to do them. So, and you're an incredibly busy and productive woman with a vibrant career and family that requires a lot of your time and attention. What do you do to de-stress or unplug? You know, what's your strategy? I think for everyone, it's a little different. So I know some folks who's going for a run or lifting weights is a great uh, anxiety reducer, stress reducer for me. Uh, swimming has, has been really, really helpful. You know, exercise is not something that I enjoyed doing. It's not something that came naturally for me. I wasn't raised in a healthy and fit environment. But I did find that as I was going through the ordeal with my son, I went through a horrible depression. And part of the um, way out of that was really eating better, sleeping more, getting healthier exercise, you know, getting more exercise. So for me, swimming three or four days a week is a huge stress reducer. Uh, for, me, for me, massage, you know, I, I love massage and I think that that gives my mind time to clear. But something as simple as taking two to three minutes a day in the morning and in the evening to just close your eyes and focus on your breathing is really critical. And a lot of people get scared off by that thinking, well, I don't know how to meditate. Don't even think of it as meditating. Just close your eyes and focus on taking deep breaths for two or three minutes even. And the result you'll find is that you have more clarity, more energy, and you're able to go back a little bit more recharged and renewed. So every time I get in a situation where I feel my stress level and my anxiety level rise, I excuse myself. I go to the ladies' room. I, you know, stand in there, sit in there, whatever. And I take a few deep breaths uh, and, and really focus on my breath 
rather than what I'm so anxious about. And it helps to calm my mind. That is such a great technique, Anne, and it's so simple and it's portable. We can do it anywhere. So thank you for sharing that. So let's talk a little bit uh, as we wrap up. You have a plugging leaks strategy for time and productivity. Give us a taste of that. It's a wonderful section of your book that I truly enjoyed. All right. Well, first things first, figure out what your priorities are. Spend 80% of your time there without apologizing it. I think we're all trying to be everything to everyone at the same time, and it's impossible. You know, you can be the perfect mom who makes cookies and sells them at the PTA meeting and goes for a jog in the morning and looks flawless in her makeup. And you can maintain that for a few days, but nobody can do that consistently. So rather than try to be everything to everybody, figure out what your top you know, handful of priorities are and spend most of your time doing those. Next, you know, really make sure that you are taking time for you. If you've got a lot of chaos and crazy running around you and you want to plug some of those leaks, those leaks are within you. So you've got to take care of yourself uh, along with doing all of those other things. But simple strategies like turn off your email alert. You know, I don't know what it is about that. You've got mail that is like crack and everybody's so, you know, <laughs> You, yeah. you like have to go get it and see who it is and it ends up being a Viagra commercial. But, you know, re- turn off your email alert. You will survive if you have to manually push through your emails three or four times a day. But your inbox should not be your to-do list. They're two different things. Remember what's important to you. You know, your resume is not your eulogy. And I think we get caught up in wanting to be more, do more, have more, Realize not realizing along the way that, you know, happiness isn't a permanent state. It happens in what I call blips and it happens as part of your journey. So making time to stop and realize that what you're doing now is just as important as where you want to be down the road. Focusing on today and being mindful of that is is really important. Minimize interruptions, you know, two interruptions a day. If you were able to minimize two interruptions a day, that's 30 minutes a day of increased productivity. And that actually equates to 22 days a year, meaning an entire work month minus weekends. So if you want more time in your day, minimize a couple of interruptions and you'll be amazed at how much more productive you become. It adds up. Beautiful. And I, I love, again, another another great soundbite. Your resume is not your eulogy. Beautifully done. And Grady, always a joy to have you on. I want to remind our listeners, your book is 52 Strategies for Life, Love, and Work. And tell us how we can follow you online. Well, you can go to success52.com. And learn more about the book. It's got uh, subtle shifts you can make in behavior and mindset over a course of a year so that you uh, have change that's actually sustainable. You can learn more about us on Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn at anngradygroup.com. And you know, there you can get a free chapter of the book. You can download a free behavior style assessment to understand how you communicate. And if to buy a book, um, a portion of all the proceeds go to benefit NAMI, the National Alliance on Mental Illness. So you can really help eradicate the stigma of mental illness while you're at it. Excellent. And Grady, thank you so much. I wish you continued success and I hope our paths cross in person someday soon. 
And I want to thank our listeners for tuning into Your Working Life, where my goal is to help you design your career destiny so it doesn't happen by default. True career and life satisfaction is possible, and it's time to embrace what you love doing so you can do more of it. I'm Caroline Dowd-Higgins. Take good care.